Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. And this is part two of a conversation that I'm having with uh, Cornelio Dragon... Oh, God. Uh, it's only uh, worked the first time. Oh. Yeah, just People just go back to the first episode and he was brilliant then. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Dragon Mirescu. Yes. Okay. Cornelio Dragon Mirescu is here with me. And if you've listened to part one of this conversation, then you will remember us talking about his name, the fact that he's from Romania, the fact that he's a friend of mine from the stand-up comedy scene, the fact that he's a filmmaker um, who um, has a great love and, and uh, um, a great uh, affection for movies. Um, and we've t- we talked for ages about all sorts of stuff in the last episode, and we're going to continue in this one. And, it, and the plan is to, to focus on Cornelius' English learning experiences and to talk about uh, Romania and, and the image of Romania and certain issues relating to that. That's the plan. But um, we know, don't we, on Luke's English podcast, that the best laid plans of mice and men um, often go awry. I think that's the phrase. Absolutely. Um, so we will see what happens. The ultimate aim, as ever, on Luke's English podcast is to keep you, keep you entertained, to give you a chance to listen to some real English as it's actually happening, as it's genuinely spoken in a real conversation, authentically, some organic English, let's say, um, to give you a chance to try and just keep up with the conversation. Um, because um, in doing that, you engage in a very natural and organic way with uh, English, right? And that aids in your acquisition of the language, ultimately, Keep listening. That's my advice. Okay, Luke's English podcast is produced for you, for your listening pleasure. Pleasure. That's not how you say that yeah, word. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Pleasure. That's no, no, more. No. What's pleasure? I don't know. I've never heard. I've never said the word pleasure it, before. It's something that we might have discovered just now. I've just and, uh, created a new word. It's a new form of pleasure. It's even better than pleasure. Uh, yeah, where you lose yourself into into the universe. It's uh, it's a kind of pleasure where you lose yourself into the universe and you also learn english while doing it yeah, yeah so listening to luke's english podcast genuinely is a pleasure and i hope that you're uh taking great amounts of pleasure from, pleasure. from and pleasure yeah but that's secondary now yeah yeah, yeah exactly okay good uh, that's my introduction and how are you feeling Cornelio? Pretty good, pretty yeah. good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was uh, thinking about this concept of organic English, Yeah, but I think uh, it's called bio here in France. So. Bio, yeah, they yeah. call it bio, which is in England, we would call it bio, <laughs> Yeah, bio English or bio English. It's funny because in England, bio is something else. Bio. Is, is it the same in America? Um, bio. Bio, bio. It's like, it's a bad thing. Uh, you get it on the Paris metro quite a lot. It's basically body odor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know. It's. I was thinking 
somewhere else. Yeah, right. So, sometimes, you know, French friends say to me, oh, well, let's go to the B.O., you know, shop. I'm like, yeah. what, you can actually buy B.O. in France? Because I thought that it was readily available for free on the metro. Yeah, yeah, but this one is, you know, you can have uh, B.O.s uh, kind of created by the... B- like, I, I, I think Karl Lagerfeld would, would be a great guy to create different B.O.s. Yeah, well, you know, Paris is well known for creating fragrances. Yeah. Some of them smell good, some of them smell yeah. bad. But, you know, the, it's the passion that counts. Exactly, you've got yeah. to have passion, the passion. In, in, in this country, yes. Passion is a very important concept in France and, and in other yeah. places. In Britain, we, we don't go in for passion so no. much. You know, in, in, you go to France or we go to other countries, like, for example, sort of, uh, sort of Latin uh, nations and so on, and everyone's, you know, talking about passion. Football is my passion, right. that kind of thing. And in England, you know, we, sort of, we don't say, oh, it's my passion. We tend to say, it's my hobby, you know. Right, it's not so exactly. it's just more laid back, uh, sort of, maybe, you, you know, you can you do that, but you might choose not to do that. It's just, it's not, not to practice the hobby. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, for example, say stamp collecting is my passion, right. would you? You know, it's like stamp collecting is my hobby. Um, I, I, I like to collect stamps. I put yeah. them in a book. It is my passion. It comes with other types of, of gestures and movements when you, where mm. you, you're using, when you're uh, handling stamps, for instance. Yeah, you've got to be very, right. very delicate. You can't get too emotional about it. Yes, you have to have a stiff up, stiff up a lip approach. Yeah, that's to, what they say. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't able to assimilate that. I, I think really, yeah, because being, you know, like we were talking about uh, learning English and all that, and yeah. being exposed to the British culture. Uh, yeah, and that, that's, I think, something that I didn't really achieve. What the stiff up a lip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, my my teacher wanted me to have a very good British pronunciation. Right. That was his aim. Yeah, uh, but as you can hear, that didn't really happen. Well, you've 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 got good pronunciation. I mean, it's but not like, British. No, he wanted the British, not necessarily BBC, but some form of British, a higher class, not Cockney. He wasn't going for Cockney. No, no, I don't think so. Nobody, That's, nobody wants that. Some some English people do. Jamie Oliver, you know him? He wants to, uh, to sound cockney. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he does. So you were saying that he, uh, in the beginning, he was speaking, he was like a Cambridge dude. No, I don't think so. I think Jamie Oliver started speaking like that and he's managed to maintain it. He's but I think cultivated. he's... cultivated. He's, I think, I, I don't know if he's cultivating it, but it's certainly f- uh, part of his roots. Jamie Oliver, if you don't know, is an English chef. He's quite famous now everywhere, yeah. and he's famous. F- he's famous for being a bit of a geezer. You know what I mean? He's like a bit of a. All right, so you get your potatoes here, you chop them in half. Yeah, don't don't muck about. Just chop them in half, stick them in the pan. Lovely. You know, he's a bit like he's from Essex, I think, and in that part of the world, they do sort of speak a bit like that. You know what I mean? They've they've got a bit of a Cockney thing going on, and so he's the sort of Cockney chef, which um, which is fine. It's great and everything. I lo- you know I love that sort of dialect and everything. It's brilliant. But sometimes people criticise Jamie Oliver because they think it's fake. Right. Like, they think that he's putting it on. 
like he's cultivated it a bit and it's fake and he's doing it because it's part of his image yeah. and people are like oh yeah this is interesting isn't it because he's a chef and he's quite sophisticated regarding food but on the other hand he's a fucking cockney you know what i mean he doesn't actually say the f word no um I, I would beep that out but i'm not going to just because two reasons one i'm lazy and right. secondly i think it's all right i think it's okay to swear a little bit sometimes absolutely but as long as my listeners know that it's a bad word and that they shouldn't be using it on a daily basis Very only so. only only sometimes yeah. anyway your accent yeah 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 so no that didn't uh, that didn't really happen so uh because i guess after this after the um, study years i was exposed then to all sorts of other influences that kind of built this sort of accent that i i have now mm. and one of them being spending time in the U.S., but even prior to that, being uh, um, exposed to a lot of uh, American movies, kind of having my attention in that direction, and yeah. that probably built. And also, as I, I guess you would confirm that, it's an easier way of, I mean, more relaxed way of speaking. We know that yeah. um, Americans tend to go for the what's, what's kind of easier to, to do, uh, to pronounce, yeah. uh, and they've simplified or... Um, yeah, even uh, taken out some sounds yeah. that are, uh, are in exist in the British pronunciation. Yes. So I guess that's also part of that simplifying mode that I've I've been going that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, some people sometimes ask me, is it easier to to learn British English or American English or whatever? I don't think that one is is uh, intrinsically easier to learn than the other, or that one is intrinsically. Uh, clearer or better as a medium of communication than the other. I think they're two distinct and equally valid uh, forms of English. Um, I mean, that's what I say in a good mood. If I'm feeling tired, I'll say, no, no, British English is correct and American English is wrong. No, I don't actually say that. I don't, because I don't believe that. But I think sometimes people want me to say that, mm. but I won't, right. um, because I don't really agree. that uh, I think they're both equally valid, right? Um, what was my point, Cornelia? I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say something about... Uh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, America... Generally, yeah, it's, they're very, it's a very pragmatic place. And yeah, they have sort of modified English in some ways to make it simpler, like they've changed the spelling. Right. Um, the, the pronunciation is, is um, sort of rounder. For example, you get the, um, you know, um, T sounds that tend to become like D sounds. Mm, yeah. the, the R sound is, is um, added in there um, uh, in, in various ways. Yes. Um, but um, I guess you picked up American, an American English accent from watching a lot of movies yeah, from, and from living in America for a while. That, that, was, that came later, so I was uh, that just uh, probably accentuated a tendency. Okay. And all, since I've uh, been also studying there um, and including uh, acting lessons uh, and obviously working on text and on interpretation, yeah. that made uh, kind of put an imprint on what it's now easier for me to do. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, using my my voice and in acting, mm. so uh, I've been facing kind of this issue even when acting in um, uh, French, for instance. Yeah, because and I find it much more. Um, it's it's much better. It's easier to to act in English. Yeah, for me because I've had this uh, sort of um, formative um, experiences in English, and of course easier in Romanian because that's 
how things are. It's your first language. Yes. Um, so, like, learning acting, training as an actor in, in America meant that I imagine that you focused on your diction and focused on performing and your spoken performance in American English, and that's really fixed your accent in an American accent, which, you know, which is great. But did, um, how do you feel about that? You, you, you're cool about having an American accent? Is that, uh, you're happy with it? Yes, 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 I, I, of, of course. Yeah. I yeah. was, uh, we were um, recently uh, in Cannes with Alan, an American friend and colleague, yeah. um, kind of yeah. networking there. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a colleague from uh, Egypt. Yeah. And he told me, uh, well, you speak perfect uh, American English. And for me, there's no difference between you and Alan. Uh, uh -huh. Now, obviously, and I, you were like, yes, I, I don't believe <laughs> that because I know that I have uh, sort of an accent that's not even American. Yeah. But then I was kind of taunting Alan and, and just saying this, repeating this phrase, you know, Alan, there's no difference between <laughs> us. And so I was sort of satisfied. But I know that there's not it's not the case. Okay. All right. Um, so tell me about how you learned English. All right. Now, sure. you've got a bit of a story about this. So when did you start learning English? Can you remember the first time you had to speak or listen to English? Well, listen, obviously, there were movies that we were... Uh, I was telling you that all the movies were in original version. Mm -hmm. So on TV or in cinemas, um, you, you know, I was listening to that. And I, had, I, I was already... Um, going to the movies mm. a lot uh, and and so i had a lot of exposure to that yeah but when i was about eight uh, my parents decided that it's time to take that seriously yeah and uh, you know among the, the other many things that i'm grateful uh, um, uh, to them uh, it's it's this um, you know exposure to languages and uh, good uh, knowledge of English and French that took me in the directions uh, that I, I took afterward. I mean, you know, career-wise and uh, life-wise. So they 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 um, uh, decided that you should learn English and French and French. But English came first. That it is obvious for everybody. This was the priority. You yes, know? it was the eighties, communist Romania. But everybody somehow had this idea, had the hope that, you know, it would be even more useful one day. Mm -hmm. And uh, things, uh, you know, for a family who could afford, and uh, we were not uh, were not a very rich family, by no means a very, you know, um, normal, I would say, family. But uh, even, you know, in this case, um, parents wanted the, the kids to learn good English and mm -hmm. so took private uh, lessons with tutors, yeah. private teachers who would ca come to their to our homes or, uh, I don't know, some kids maybe went to their homes, uh, uh, to the teachers' homes, and the, you, they would have one-on-one, uh, -on -one generally, yes. um, uh, lessons. So that was uh, kind of the situation in general. They, we, they um, decided that Right, so they, they, they picked an English teacher who, who then came to your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were, uh, there was sort of an audition thing, which uh, went both ways, because you, you would get a, the teacher would come and kind of talk to the parents, talk to you, and then decide, you know, every, every side ha was thinking uh, things through. And then, uh, you know, uh, it was an audition. What, so, what like, you, um, you auditioned the teacher and the teacher auditioned you? At the same time, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like, okay, we'll have a lesson 
or yeah. two at the beginning to see if you like each other. Right. And, and the first teacher that um, you had, you, you, how many sessions did you have with your first teacher? Do you remember? Was uh, it like many sessions or just one or two? I think it did. there were uh, you know, several months, I would say. Cause, uh, so I was about eight. Yeah. And the first teacher was this woman who had a particular method, uh, meaning that she was drawing and singing. Right. things for kids drawing to, drawing and yeah. singing so as we were we were um, just facing each other over a desk and she would draw uh, on a notebook yeah and she had her set of crayons and she was very skilled i mean i, I admired the artistry mm. as it like birds we will we'll learn about birds uh, but she took five minutes to to draw a bird yeah so, <laughs> and i was put off by that you know it's bird i understand i i was able to recognize the bird from the first uh, strokes, the beak. Yeah. Beak, a couple of feathers, that's a bird. That's a very good point, because like, uh, as, in, as an English teacher, sometimes it's necessary to draw pictures to help people understand vocab. It's a very Which important fine, skill. Yeah. But you learn as a teacher that sometimes you just need the very, only the basic things. Yeah. You know, if you want to draw a bird, you can just draw a piece. It, it can be a really badly drawn bird. Yeah. As long as there's an eye there yeah. and a feather there and a beak exactly. there, that's all you need. And in fact, there's a great sort of uh, skill involved in communicating a message through a piece of artwork sure. you know it's like that game pictionary pic pictionary pictionary right. the one where you have to write draw a picture and your partner has to guess what you're drawing right, right. and when you get really good at that you learn that it's it's yeah. the, the shortest distance between your brain and your friend's brain and it's like what's the quickest way that i can express this concept in a drawing and the people who are bad at that game they draw very very detailed pictures yeah, and it yeah. takes a long time no keep it simple focus on the cl clearest most simple method of getting the message across sure. it's the same in any kind of communication absolutely so that was kind of a bad choice although she was a good drawer but i was sitting there and uh, waited for you know um, very uh, artistic drawings to pop up on the notebook but that was you know like the, the you had flowers springing on the notebook yeah and all sorts of other animals um and maybe even people but i don't know if that was not very much about english I, so you I were thought. like these drawings are fantastic but yeah. really i need to we need to focus on english yeah, yeah. and and so yeah it took five minutes just to to draw a picture yeah, I mean, for one word long, that, anyway yeah and also the other thing uh, which was her thing her shtick was singing Right. She wanted to sing songs to learn English, which is done. I'm aware of that. I'm not against it. But it's more awkward when you're face-to-face -face, uh, in a small room and maybe uh, with the parents next door, uh, kind of listening in, why not? Mm. Uh, and uh, just uh, to sing um, in front of this person the yeah. alphabet, which is a famous song. Famous a, song. B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, yeah. You will not make me sing it, even now. <laughs> I refused then. I was eight, and I will still refuse it because it's it's awkward, uh, oh, and uh, it felt uh, it felt out of place. So I wasn't comfortable with this method, and I think everybody felt that. So after a few months, this person was thanked. Yes. Uh, Thank you very much. But no, thank you. Yes, yes. And I don't know exactly how that uh, session went. I don't think I was there. I think my parents just took this, uh, they took the, the initiative and just thanked her and then started um, auditioning for, for somebody <laughs> else. Yeah. And so some friends, good friends, recommended a gentleman 
uh, who uh, was supposed to be very good, uh, very thorough, very serious about uh, the thing, and who came uh, in and um, did the audition thing, which felt much more an audition on my side. Really? Because he, yeah, he was teaching older people. And I was about probably uh, eight, nine by then. Yes. So I, I have to make sure if I can work with this kid, because I'm used to teach people who are uh, teenagers or young adults or old adults or all, all that. He was used to teaching grown-ups, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in in one word. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> summarizing that. Uh, before uh, I was going on to list every sort of human f- form. Yeah, yeah. I'm just doing my job. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, it's good. Anyway, now people have some um, the vocabulary to work on, yeah. right? Um, That's the idea, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And so he came in, and um, there was this talk, and um, I, I read some stuff, and kind of um, I was reading um, the the Greek, uh, you know, uh, legends, the, uh, the the old uh, the myths, uh, myths, uh, the, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, in, a, in a book for kids, but still, you know, there's yeah, uh, the, the, s- strong material. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Yeah. All those Greek stories. Yeah, he liked Hercule- that. Hercules. Yeah, and that stuff. was you know marked points for, for me. So like that, uh, had me read from from some mm, from a book that I was reading, and so I was reading fluently, uh, obviously in Romanian because I didn't know English. But uh, he was interested in kind of I think the intellectual level. Yes. Uh, and then we, we started this, and uh, which went on for four or five years, yeah, I would wow. say. So I was uh, till I started. That was till I started high school, basically. Yeah, uh, four or five years, and uh, it was uh, it was great because um, I was, I guess, following with his uh, method, and yeah. uh, he uh, he was serious about it, but still knew how to kid uh, with me to to joke mm. and also again to to tell stories yes he was telling stories even if some were probably more uh you know not necessarily for for my age uh, he, he was interesting and he was kind of opening uh, paths and uh, yeah. uh, ideas for me so he was he was a great guy and i'm uh, I, I i'm thankful that i i met him because you know the the solid knowledge of English mm. then brought me um, uh, well t- to America, but also uh, now I'm, I'm working a lot in in English. Not only the stand-up, but also writing mm. in English, and um, uh, even on different projects that I work. The good knowledge of English is always has always been an important mm. uh, point for me. So, so th- and this guy, his name was um, is he's still around, um, Nikolai Alexandru Pokora. So yeah. you see already, long name, probably <laughs> yeah. as long as as mine with all the all three names. Yeah, and uh, um, so he uh, also. What's interesting, mm, he made me. Um, do some physical exercises too because maybe oh, really? he saw that i was uh, a bit kind of not very into sports yeah. even then and uh, probably a bit overweight as a kid not much don't think uh, you weren't a fat kid no you just like you just you, you could know, have a bit of could have done with a bit more exercise maybe yeah yeah exactly so and he we had a session uh, like a break in the session where i did about 10 push-ups Seriously, in the middle of this, uh, a break, a break for push-ups, ten push-ups. Really, really. Yeah, give me ten. 
and I would execute that. And so I, I, it's something that you know kind of kept me uh, uh, in shape a bit too. That's very interesting, you know, because uh, you know about this theory that there are multiple intelligences. You know about this, right. you know, like different types of. Uh, uh, intelligence so some people are visual some people are kinesthetic which means that they like to uh, they like to do lots of physical movements when they're learning some people are musical and, and various other different types of intelligence right. so I imagine that he realized the importance of maybe I'm maybe I'm giving him a lot of credit but um, maybe what in effect what he did was he tried to do introduce a slight kinesthetic element because you were rather rigidly sort of intellectual as a uh, as a learner and he thought no i need to right. do some more physical stuff because actually learning language is not just an intellectual pursuit it is a physical pursuit completely i mean it it, it absolutely is physical yeah. you know speaking yeah adapting it, the vocal cords to a definitely and not just the vocal cords it's the whole body yeah. When you when you talk, you use your whole body. You might not realize it, but everyone does. Uh, you, everyone uses their entire body. You can uh, subtly. We we affect our body language. We emphasize things by using our body language, and also we think physically too. I mean, I, it, it helps me to do that. Mm. Um, it helps me to move when I think because it allows me to put rhythm into my speaking, and it allows me to sort of map out what I'm thinking. You know, like when I'm on stage, right? Um, it might be different on stage because I because there's a different factor, which is that you're entertaining. But I find that I can I can get my thought process, I can communicate my thought process more effectively when I'm moving on stage than when I'm standing still. I find that when I stand still on stage, my performance becomes smaller and less engaging. Whereas when I move, when I'm on stage, I find that I can make my points more effectively. Anyway, so the, that, what I was saying is that your teacher was was really clever to introduce those push-ups because he yeah. added the physical element into the, the learning process yeah, as well. Yeah. Also, he probably gave you he probably gave you a big rush of, of oxygenated exactly. blood to the brain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, maybe he felt that at some point I was getting a bit. Um, not really sleepy, but uh, probably less uh, active intellectually. Mm. And also, I'm thinking now because um, there's this there's these concepts of I guess the um, British gentleman mm. um, who has all these qualities, including the physical ones, which is kind of a good um, you know posture, uh, po po posture, and uh, being you know kind of skilled in sports, at least some. Right. Of course, being able to ride horses. Yes. I think that's kind of an old um, uh, gentleman idea of idea of a person who is complete right yes and probably he was uh, i'm just speculating he was drawing from that too because he was so in, in, enthralled with british um culture right uh, and he uh, that was his model and um and i i i, I wouldn't be surprised because he was reading up a lot on on uh, you know british uh, stuff right the concept of yeah. the gentleman yeah. who who as you said the complete sort of uh, yeah. gentleman which is someone who has all the right sort of behavior right. Uh, but also physically um is is uh, in good shape too it makes me think of someone like sherlock holmes who we yeah, who we assume we always think of him as a purely intellectual 
uh, person, but actually physically he was very capable too as a boxer. Yeah, yeah. A- as evidenced in in the latest movies, but not necessarily in the old ones. Yeah, well, in yeah, exactly in the new films with Robert Downey Jr., right. who we mentioned earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as Charlie Chaplin. Yes, he's very much a fighter. He's a bare yeah. knuckle fist fighter and everything. And there's some brilliant moments in those films where he chooses his technique for beating someone up and it he uses the Holmesian you know uh method for you know working out someone's weak points and all that it's brilliant uh but in the books yes he's a, a an excellent uh, boxer um so he's you know an example of that right, image of right. the gentleman the physical and the intellectual combined yes so yeah that might have been one of the the models but a lot of emphasis was put on pronunciation uh, which was you know the british pronunciation so this is where i was saying earlier that um after my years uh, with uh, studying with this guy i kind of switched and uh, again, I'd go, uh, have gone my my own path but he was very you know insisting on words and that kind of get got to us uh, funny um and uh, a bit tense point when he also did um lessons with my father yes uh, uh in uh, in the early 90s my father needed that because he was um g- going to uh, to work to to study for a the surgery technique in uh, england Oh really? Yeah, in Leeds. Uh and my, he, my dad's from Leeds. Oh, that's um coincidence. Yeah. yeah. He um and he knew English but he needed, you know, uh, to beef up a bit on on English because he was going to work uh, and study under um, British uh, surgeons. Mm. So he um he used, he used the same uh gentleman whom I had studied with and probably was almost done by then. Yes. But he um he took lessons with him and he needed just practical stuff yeah and vocabulary and easiness into communicating yes he had not no time to focus mm. on british pronunciation mm. but this uh, guy was following his method so he was insisting with his british pronunciation and i was i was able to hear from another room kind of um, bits and pieces of this conversation insisting and my father you know kind of trying to do his best but really not focusing on that because that was not what he wanted out of these um, mm. lessons it's in, that's very interesting because as a teacher myself you know i realize that some methods work with some people and they don't work with others there is no one yeah. perfect method i mean for example your first teacher who used art and music i'm sure she had great success with some people with sure. that method that, that people loved the music and the art and they, that that helped them to relax and and so on um but um the, what worked with you and what didn't work with your father maybe Yeah, as you said, your father being a professional surgeon didn't have a lot of time. Also, he'd already he was already he already had a full personality, fully yeah, fully yeah. formed personality. Yeah, I think that's important. So what he needed was someone who would work with him on his terms. So I like I've learned that from some some teachers, some students, you have to be quite a dominant personality and lead them. And some students who are usually older professionals you let them be the leader right. and you're there in a sort of consulting aspect you yeah. know just sort of giving them bits of advice and and working with them listening to them very carefully to see what's going to work with them rather than imposing a sort of uh, 
um, uh, a method on on them, you know. So yeah, that's very interesting. That yeah. uh, it didn't quite work with your father in the same way that it, it had yeah. worked with you. And besides, now I re- recall that he, my father, actually had studied initially with uh, an original British gentleman ah. who was a friend of the family and who was living. He had married in Romania and was uh, living there and uh, gave, uh, taught him some lessons. You know, and, and so he had this exposure, but probably. Uh, you know, he, he, that wasn't his his uh, strong point, or didn't uh, need to focus on that. Mm. But mm, took the the useful, let's say, uh, concrete stuff like th- being able to communicate. Yes. Uh, so uh, he had already had that, um, and now had this um, update with uh, with our. Um, a gentleman, but that went fine because he he went and uh, took that um, uh, kind of uh, how to say uh, course in um, uh, in surgery and uh, which went great. He spent I think a month in Leeds. Yes, really. And he came uh, back fully equipped with new techniques. Well, great. And so he used them to tame dragons, as we. I learned. think yeah, that was that might have been uh, one of the. But he became also the. Pioneer, one of the pioneers of laparoscopic surgery in Romania, really, which is uh, was Im- very important and revolutionary in the early nineties. Wow, that's great! Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what's uh, What's interesting to say if we really want to give a sense of uh, these uh, sessions in the in the eighties? Yeah, English lessons. These English lessons with this teacher who, who yeah. you respected so much. Because my feeling is that we had so much more time back then. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, uh, part of it is because we didn't have any other form of entertainment, and there were two or three hours of TV po- program, and uh, you know, people needed to occupy their time. So people were reading back then uh, the classics, uh, like the, all the great books were read. Yes. Uh, and for instance, even these lessons took a lot of occupied, like a whole afternoon, because you you would have. Um, me working with the guy and doing our exercises mm-hmm. but then he would spend uh, like uh, at least the same amount of time chatting with my parents oh, really? about my performance but also about anything you know going on or about life or about the news or whatever exactly in in romania or in english uh, mostly uh, that was basically in romanian yes but when my father took the 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 classes too he tried to use that time also to make conversation in English, okay. I remember. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Or even if I would maybe uh, step in, he wanted to give a glimpse of our progress. Yeah. So he would engage in a bit of dialogue right. uh, with me uh, in English in front of my parents. Yes. And even today, uh, th- this is bound to happen if I'm going to call him. Yeah. At some point, which is not predetermined, so I, I would not know, in the midst of the conversation, he would switch into English. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I would do the same because that's an invitation, right? Yeah. And um, knowing that he, he he's judging my accent every step of the way. Right, right. Okay. But I, I, you know, what can you do about it? What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> you have to just go along with it, don't Exactly, you? yeah. Well, he sounds like a really good teacher. He used um, with you a series of, of books, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You, tol- you told me about these books before, written by um, someone? C.E. Eckersley. 
C.E. Eckersley. Yeah. Slightly mysterious character. Who is this C.E. C. E. Eckersley? I, I, I don't think we have an indication of uh, what it stands for, but this uh, is a four-volume uh, handbook mm-hmm. um, that this guy used, and he, that was his Bible because he was using just that for, for teaching. And we, um, uh, you know, as uh, we see here on, uh, on the book, the first edition was published in 1940 and has uh, enjoyed various editions ever since. Mm. And my my uh, guess from recollections is that we were using very old books. Yes. Uh, the ones that he had, maybe not from the 40s, but 50s, 60s at least. Yeah. And so they were... Um, Adorned with very nice cartoons. Yes. Some from from the papers, some drawn for the uh, for the handbook. Yeah. And so it was. Uh, you still, I was still able to enjoy a bit of art. Yeah. With my English lessons, there was a little bit of visual was, stimulus. Yeah, in there. I, I, w- I would enjoy that. Uh, but there was a lot of dialogue in it, and uh, also exercises. So uh, I was kind of surprised that, and you didn't know about this. And generally, all the English speakers that I've talked to about this have not heard about it. You mean you were surprised that I hadn't heard of this series? Yeah. So yeah. Let, let me but just... Apparently, it's not, it's not very well known. I, I had never heard about it when you told me about it. Yeah. Um, let me just say, maybe some of my listeners, they might know the series as well. In fact, yeah. they may have had a very similar experience to you, right. Cornelius. Well, I would enjoy if anybody knows uh, of them or uh, had um, experience with it, if they would, could, you know... Get in write, touch. make comments, just leave a comment, and I would be uh, happy to to you know, know that somewhere there, there are the, uh, there's other people who studied fo- following this method. Let me um, just describe the book a little bit. Um, what we have here, Cornelia has brought two of these books, which you purchased um, fairly recently on yeah online. on the internet. But these are more recent editions than uh, the ones I studied from. The, yeah, um, yeah. The, these these editions probably come from the seventies. Now this one it was printed in the 90s but it's it's a 70s edition okay it's a uh, it's a reimpression uh, it's a reprint that too of the 70s right okay so um it's called essential english for foreign students by c.e eckersley uh, published by longman nowadays i'm not sure if they were always published by longman but um, I think probably I think so. I think so. And there's you know small handbooks. It's like the size of a novel that you might take yeah. on holiday with you. You know, I was able to stuff two volumes in my jacket uh-huh. this afternoon. So they're very practical. I think uh, that's my favourite size for a book. Yeah, it's enough to go in a pocket, a jacket, really, a really. jacket pocket. It's that's of great value. I, I was so uh, depressed over you know I, I needed to take a book with me. Yeah, and I couldn't take the book that I wanted uh, many times because of its size. Yeah, and, uh, especially the cover. Yeah, I'm reading a book at the moment, Cornelia, which I've been reading for months. Right, and it's a it's a book about the Beatles because I'm a huge fan. Sure. And uh, the problem is, I cannot I cannot finish this book because it's too big. It's yeah. literally too big. I can't take it with me. Yeah, if I want to take it with me, I need to bring a backpack and put it, the book in the backpack. Exactly. Uh, no, so I'm never going to finish this book because I can't carry it with me on the metro. But these, these books are perfect. They for, are um, perfect. Although, uh, you know, I never carried them with me till today because the, the, uh, the teacher was coming to, to our house to, or for the... I see. He brought uh, the books. And uh, no, I, I guess uh, we purchased or probably somebody who had already taken this class with him mm-hmm. gave them to us because people were kind of handing 
box to to the uh, the next ones. Like um, I told you that this guy was recommended by some friends of the family, so maybe they had the the four volumes yeah. and simply gave them to us. So they they were sort of handed down to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hand me downs. Yeah. Um, all right. So just tell me a little bit about these books. Then they they used to contain cartoons that appeal to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I even remember. You know, like uh, this is probably from the press. Funny cartoons, like a gentleman uh, eating a soup in a restaurant, mm-hmm. and the waiter next to the window, uh, looking uh, outside, and uh, the waiter says, "It looks like rain, sir." Uh, and the guy uh, eating his soup, and it also tastes like rain. <laughs> you know, kind of that kind yes. of humor. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but um, it features um, in the stories, let's say, that open the lessons. The situation is we're at a teacher's house, mm-hmm. Mr. Presley, who's teaching English to a group of foreign students yeah. from all over the world. Olaf, Pedro, Frida, Lucille, you can, you can see here the variety. And a dude, Hob, who's from an imaginary country. Hob. Hob. Uh, yeah. uh, and he's kind of the comic relief, kind of lazy, but he still makes progress in English. Okay. You know? So he was uh, an interesting character to me. If, you w- if we want to make a connection with uh, kind of my choices later and comedy and, yeah. and all that, he, I got to say that he was the interesting guy. Okay. I don't remember the others very well. Just now uh, reading the names, they come back. But, um, and they were drawn with, you know, like a lot of attention. They were handsome mm-hmm. people, let's say, mm-hmm. that in the, in the uh, old drawings. Yes. And Hob was kind of sloppy and with the uh, wrinkled clothes sometimes and um, messed up <laughs> hair. Right. Uh, but, because um, obviously there were insights of how to behave too as we were talking earlier yeah. on how people uh, need to behave properly especially if they want to fit in in England right i see i think that's the point mm. i'm just uh, assuming that now but you know you want you you hand uh, you give a handbook to a person uh, yeah. who will, will probably come into your country yes and you want that person to be uh, to behave correctly. Yeah, to be I mean, on all levels, not just language, but you know. Yeah, in terms of you know, like the general etiquette for how to how to behave in the in the appropriate way within that culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so the book works as not only a language guide but also a general cultural guide too. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's probably uh, again why um, this teacher loved it and followed uh, kind of uh, followed through. Um, in all its aspects, yeah, it's it, it looks like a good book, and it's um, it kind of each unit tends to have like a, either a, a lecture, sort of a, a couple of pages written by the the teacher on one subject, and then a few grammar or vocab exercises afterwards. Yeah. Or there are conversations between the teacher and the members of the class, right? Including little uh, comments by Hob, Hob, yeah, who makes like little jokes and and uh, sort of he's the yeah, as you said, the comic relief, yeah. the light relief in there, and it goes through various different things including it seems that most units relate to grammar but then there are things like a description of the teacher's trip to oxford uh with vocab exercises um yeah you have there the third volume so it tends to be more um uh, oriented towards uh how to say conversation Mm -hmm. and um 
I, I guess the grammar side is is more dense in the first volumes, but the, right. um, uh, the last volumes are more uh, oriented towards culture and conversation yeah. and uh, reading, obviously, and um, they offer all sorts of uh, aspects that are probably are out of date. I mean, imagine that we were using books uh, probably from the 60s and that had been created in the 40s. So th there was this um, myth, I guess, mm. of uh, England that I think it's pretty much alive uh, and it's it's been promoted through other channels. The myth of, of, yeah, of what England is. the gentlemanly is. England, uh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it, does the gentleman still exist? Is that is this yeah. the question? Yeah. Um, I think that it doesn't exist in the same way that it used to. People used to go to schools, like finishing schools, where you would actually learn how to act like a gentleman. So the gentleman was a, was a thing that definitely existed and it was something that was produced. You know, people would go into schools and they'd emerge as gentlemen. Right. And you could act like a gentleman gentleman you would be a gentleman um, and that involved certain codes of behavior and so on that's not common anymore really yeah. you don't get these schools where you learn to, to be a gentleman it's still um, it's still fairly common well it still happens that uh, people go and learn manners you know they they do but they don't necessarily do it in that formalized way manners and being polite and being appropriate are still important but they yeah they're not as formal as they used to be. Yeah. It's a lot more informal now. And instead, we have um, a sense that um, we just try and accept diversity and that there are many different ways to behave and each one is valid. As long as you, as long as you um, don't, um, uh, as long as you respect people's rights, you know, that's the main thing. Is you respect the rights of, of, of diversity, you know, that um, I think that there's a sort of pluralism in England these days, which is the idea that not there is no one way that's correct. That, that as long as you um, do, hmm, as long as you respect certain principles, um, you don't have to be a, a gentleman. You know, as long as you're polite and as long as you're not sexist and as long as you're not racist, um, then that that's all you need to do, really. Yeah. Um, and so, rather than there being specific codes of etiquette it's more conceptual ideological things like these days the the, the worst things you can do are be sexist or, or racist sure. i think sure. um and um outside of that as long as you're respectful then that's enough but Absolutely. generally people are a lot more relaxed and informed yeah, these yeah, days. yeah. but uh, you know here we're getting back to the stiff upper lip that kind of prompted mm. this um part of the conversation because we um you know that's generally associated with um england the yeah. old england yeah. and a certain behavior yeah. that has been promoted a long uh, time and uh for instance, through, through movies, it was only in uh, recent decade, decades yeah. that we, we saw that there's other type of people um, in England and not just um, stiff upper lippers. Yeah, it's a bit of a stereotype, this sort of uh, English gentleman. You know, in Hollywood movies, uh, like in Independence Day, for example, right. there's an, that's a good example. Independence Day, we talked about it in the previous episode. Um in that movie, it focuses mainly on America. The aliens come down, uh, they invade the whole planet, um, including all the major cities in the sure. world. What we see is what occurs in America. But they do land in London, the aliens. They blow up the Houses of Parliament. Um, and there is one scene where 
um, we see um, little clips of uh, leaders in different countries, and the the leaders in the UK. It's like um, the, the, it's it's like sort of super stereotypes of each different country. And in the UK, there they are in their suits and everything. It's like golly gosh, there's a, there's aliens. What the ruddy heck are we going to do? Right. You know. Um, so there is still this stereotype that English, all the English are sort yeah. of gentlemanly. You see it in Hugh Grant. He's very popular. Yeah. Um, in reality, Hugh Grant isn't the character that he plays in Absolutely. a lot of his films by no means i guess everybody knows that by now maybe has even forgotten because he's been out of the he's been out of the media but he was in the 90s uh, the the english guy and yeah. he was like oh, oh gosh uh, i i i i'm yeah, terribly yeah. sorry yeah you know that yeah. kind of thing like very nice polite unassuming but that was mostly promoted and still promoted by hollywood as you say and uh, what has uh, come through um english movies was was different in um, this past decades because you had the movies of i guess ken loach or stephen frears who offered a completely other image of england yeah. and of people from different you know sides of um the country of of, of life yes. ways of life and before that i guess there had been um like the uh, the uh, 60s filmmakers Tony Richardson, etc., who, who uh, um, showed mostly, you know, young people uh, enraged by the, the the system, but those they were still marginal then. We're right? talking about the films from the sixties that uh, focused on the angry young man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The that, working class young men still from that, uh, uh, you know, area, but yeah. they were, I guess, the marginals then. Mm. Uh, but with Frears and Loach, it, it, they sh they've shown slices of life that w were normal and you know mm. just showing this is england too so so sorry let's say a lot of those stereotypes have either been perpetuated by hollywood movies because that kind of english gentleman sells as yeah. an image but also earlier than that in britain we had lots of films that reflected how life was in the uk but for a certain type of person that there were the english movies tended to focus on the sort of the 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 slightly more middle class or upper class uh uh man from the south of england let's say yeah. but then there were movies in the 60s about the angry young man that was quite a popular um character to have in a in a, in a film at that time the sort of working class young man who um, was aware of of uh, um, certain struggles for um his rights right and he was angry about his position in the world and so that was an interesting story to tell and then since then we've had films by people like ken loach right. who's a great english filmmaker and they focus on working class people basically I think that's fair to say, um, from different areas of the country. So you hear all these different voices. It's not just the standard received pronunciation that you may have heard in the 50s and 60s in films, but instead we look at different social classes. And it, I think this is part of this movement towards accepting all types of person as equal. You know, it's not just that... The, 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 it's a breakdown in the class system, let's say. So the voices of people from all backgrounds in England, or certainly in the UK, are more valid these days than they were back in the back in the old days. So maybe that... W we'd imagine that that would break down the stereotype of the Englishman. 
And I think that people more and more from around the world are learning that there are various different types of Englishmen and yeah. various different types of English voice. You know, it's not just received pronunciation or BBC English, but also you've got your sort of Cockney English, you know what I mean, Governor? You've got your sort of Liverpool accent like that from, from the, you know, from the northwest where people speak like that in Liverpool, Merseyside, footballers and that. And then you've got Manchester and you've got Newcastle, you know, different parts of Scotland. Um so yes, in fact, the stereotype of the English gentleman not really yeah, doesn't really yeah. work anymore. But it took a while, even for British cinema, to kind of em- em- embrace that diversity and reflect yes. uh, it. So it, it was a decades process because yeah. uh, up until the the forties, what you saw was basically that the the gentleman, let's say. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's still there. I mean, you still get it every now and then, but it's uh, the Englishman is is a different character these days. I think. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say, since we're talking about stereotypes, let's have a little look at Romania, shall we? Sure. Um, so um, I know that many of my listeners will know plenty about Romania. Uh, maybe even too much. Maybe some of them will know yeah. too much yeah. about it and they wish that they didn't. Yeah. But uh, some some of my listeners will be living in Romania or living in countries in that region. Uh, but I know that many other listeners to Luke's English Podcast will not be that clued up about Romania and everything that uh, we should know about it. Um, what do you find are the standard stereotypes that people have about your country? Yeah, yeah. well, that's uh, certainly a, a good question because I, I don't know if I'm the, you know, very objective, but um, in recent years we've seen uh, this with the uh, people being afraid by the the, the the Romanians uh, who'd come to work yeah. in, in, the, in the Western countries and kind of occupy the working spots. Yeah. And, and that that's the, probably now the mo- most current uh, thing. Yeah. Whether this um, um, kind of uh, scare that was in Great Britain a couple of years ago when the, 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 the market opened for other people to come and work on the, uh, on the British soil and... Uh, there was a huge scare, of course, um, fueled by uh, certain politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, S- still happening now, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, this is oh, the started with a current affair, I would y- say. Yeah, uh, and that kind of um, well uh, was wasn't confirmed because uh, they were were expecting like a wave of people from the east and from Romania and Bulgaria on yeah. the first of January uh, this year and uh, and there were a couple I guess or one dude and so nobody showed up immediately because people of course would uh, are cautious and need to prepare for that even if uh, of course Romanians want to work abroad because that that would give them other chances and mm. we've mm. seen that in other countries where and they've become very integrated and successful. So, uh, what we're, sorry, what we're talking about is the fact that, um, yeah, this year, 2014, right at the beginning of the year, was the, the, the moment when Romanians and Bulgarians were given the right to come and work freely right. in Europe, okay? And uh, so, in the news, the, in, in England, the, the media was full of stories about this, yeah. about the fact that... Uh, uh, Romanians and Bulgarians were about to come to England and uh, steal people's jobs. Now, not everyone in the media 
um, was paranoid sure, about the sure. the uh, influx of uh, of Romanians into England. Not everyone was paranoid about it. Only certain groups, so certain sort of right wing politicians, particularly uh, members of a, the, a political party known as UKIP. That's the right. United Kingdom Independence Party. Uh, that's been one of their big uh, issues that they talk about a lot is immigration. Um, and um, they've they made a point of saying that there would be a tidal wave of uh, migrant workers coming from Romania into Britain, and Britain would be flooded um, with Romanians who would steal everyone's jobs. Okay, um, a big controversial thing to say. Lots of people in the media, you know, the left wing press, for example, disagreed with it and said it was racist and all that kind of thing. Um, but in France as well, there's the same thing. Um, uh, the French, uh, some French politicians. Uh, strongly disagreed with the movement of, uh, you know, the free movement of labour in in the European Union, saying that uh, France would be flooded with immigrants from Romania yeah, and yeah. they're going to come and steal our jobs. Do you want to have to live next door to a Romanian? All this kind of thing. Now, how do you feel? How do you feel about this stuff? About what politicians say about Romanian migrants? Yeah, well, that's obviously something that's constructed by politicians, and I guess people in general uh, know better uh, people from their respective countries because they have had other examples of people who have already been here for years, who are fully integrated and who are working well mm. uh, and don't really uh, can't listen to this because it's obviously not true. Uh, but um, and France also has been more protective with the work market than other countries in, right. in Europe who welcomed workers from, uh, from the East uh, much earlier, like Italy, Spain. Mm. You know, when uh, before uh, the crisis, uh, you know, people would really go there uh, in groups and uh, work there and um, earn obviously more money than in Romania. So that was that happened because it was easier than and then of course with the crisis uh, things kind of slowed down mm -hmm. um, so uh, what I can say from my experience is that I've never really felt like the focus of this sort of uh, um, you know uh, consideration from, from the, the people I've encountered myself yeah, yeah. Uh, you've, you've never been sort of subjected to yeah. those kinds of Views. But I know this is it exists, and there are you know it can get to extremes sometimes, and yeah. uh, uh, so I've um, I've been pr probably protected because I've been into certain milieus where that was not an issue because they were already very international. You mean you you you've, you you exist in circles yeah, where, where, mean, where people are more open minded. Exactly. So when I was studying, there was this was a very international school. Fifty percent of the students were from abroad. Yeah. Uh, and so they were. Everybody was open-minded. Now, uh, as working in in uh, the, the cinema business or in audiovisual yeah. projects, people of course are from everywhere coming, circulating. That's the the basic principle of yes. this kind of projects, and and so that's not an, an issue. But in s smaller communities, it happens, and uh, there's also, of course, uh, this sort of um, ethnic. Um, Typecasting, and I'm thinking obviously of the uh, gypsies, the Roma people, yeah. who have been uh, very much the target of this. Probably for because there were also reasons to fear them, 
but also because of uh, uh, you know politicians um, using that and it's it's easier when uh, we're talking about people who are behaving so differently from any you know western mm. behavior yeah. um, so it's easier to to uh, to target them so i suppose like um, a lot of the time these politicians were generalizing about romanians and and using one small group as you say the gypsy or Roma community, yeah. and suggesting that all Romanians were were that. Yeah, that, that happens. So this, since we're talking about cliches, certainly this sort of mix-up is uh, is disturbing and unpleasant. Yeah. But it's something that can be, uh, I think, can be fought on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Because it's, uh, um, I mean, you, you can see that... Um, uh, there are reasons to to, f uh, to fear um, s problems, but then you get uh, reactions. Which what happened here in France recently, where uh, one of these people was kind of beaten up into a coma. Really? Yeah, uh, a, a, a young uh, a gypsy guy who was uh, probably had done some stealings uh, and he was He'd done some theft. That because I, I have yeah, I have sorry. to be honest. I was, yeah. th that was an English slippage. That, yes, that stealing. Yeah, that well, stealing is a word. Yeah, yeah, stealing yeah, is yeah, fine, yeah. but they're not as good as yours. Well, I just, uh, I, to be honest, I just wanted to get a word in That's because good. I wanted to just say that um, that uh, yeah, that I do see in in Paris, and you probably do too. There are groups of uh, sort of uh, gyp gypsies who kind of hang out in the centre of Paris, and it's only a small, you know, minority of people. But you get these groups who are kind of scamming people. They have yeah, clipboards, yeah. and that, they and yeah. they have clipboards, and they they they. Try to interview you with a clipboard, and it's a scam. And while they're talking to you with a the clipboard, they they might put their hand in your pocket, or sure, well, they're quite opportunistic. They take opportunities to to maybe pickpocket you or something. They have a colleague who does that if they're not doing it themselves. Yeah, and absolutely. Are, are they are they Romanian? Well, many of these gypsies come from Romania and Bulgaria, I guess, but uh, th that part of the. Uh, of of Europe, so so I, I guess what maybe happens is that some people see these people and they think that that's what Romanians are. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, they're, wrong, and they're wrong. Definitely one of the big problems. On the other hand, they're not very uh, integrated in Romania either. Mm. Um, some parts or some categories, not at all. Yeah, uh, and so it's e easier for for them to move. Mm -hmm. That's kind of their tradition to uh, to move where it's it's better. Yeah. So they're using these opportunities to now with Europe and the kind of updated tradition. Yeah. And so uh, of course that's uh, you can go back and think why are they not integrated? Is it just their uh, culture or was it um, you know the government's fault in in Romania? Mm. And certainly that that had been a problem for years because even you know like. And, uh, during the communist regime, they they were kind of stigmatized uh, and marginalized, and mm. you know these kind of get ghettos existed. I don't, you know, there was not not enough access to to schooling, yeah. to uh, education, and that was certainly perpetuated. Right. So um, I think uh, this is a very slow, long process. Yeah. It can happen, um, you know, on a you know in a quick manner. It, it couldn't happen um, in two thousand and seven, when uh, Romania integrated the European Union, mm -hmm. and it certainly will take a long time and uh, and patience. I don't, I don't know if there's uh, much progress lately. There have been some uh, European projects um, that maybe 
uh, were successful. I don't really have a lot of information on that, but mm. I would be happy to hear if this was the case. I remember famously a um, a case about uh, you know marriage at a, at a very early age. Yeah, because this happens in these communities. Like kids would get married, like a te- teenager to twelve. 13 easily you really they get married yeah because the families arrange that and it's sort of a uh, tradition and that was uh, i think a french organization yes went there and kind of tried to um educate these these the people in the region and explain this can be done and etc and right you mean you mean so so uh, some people in that community in France no 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 that in Romania, in, in Romania yeah, yeah, they were getting said, european programs that would um, even come to Romania to uh, try to change things I see. for so, the better so so for example french like social workers or whatever were going to uh, romania yeah. in order to try and uh, tell these people you really shouldn't be getting yeah. married at 13 yeah. years it's, old especially with you know a european union knocking at the door at the time yes. now it's inside sort of okay uh, uh, so you mean you mean they were sort of preemptively going there as if to say right you're going to be in the european union soon and this kind of marrying when you're 13 is not really okay yeah, yeah, in the yeah. european union so you know maybe you could stop doing that and yeah exactly and what did they have success uh, and and uh, uh, well the guys listened very carefully and uh, of course uh, confirmed that this is not <laughs> possible and they will no longer do this and uh, there were probably some uh, money or material aids involved and then the the, um, uh, uh, the workers the social workers left and the next day of course they celebrated uh, such a marriage because uh, <laughs> they, they had you know this couple waiting for to, uh, so to it be made happy. No, it made no difference yeah even though the 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 people they went to see were like oh oh yeah okay yeah it's bad all right we'll stop doing it oh thanks for this money that's going to help us a lot and then the 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 social workers went bye bye okay right yeah. right let's get married yeah yeah so it, it made no difference so it's not it's not going to be that easy or that short of a process it's going to be a very long one obviously. okay so it's going to take a long time all right yeah. so okay so that's the sort of um immigrant workers thing that we've just dealt yeah. with now i've got another stereotype about romania that i'm sure many people have um, and that is the Transylvania thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Well. But when 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 you meet someone from uh, Romania, I've seen it in a stand-up comedy gig. I've seen it in c- comedy gigs before. When you know the comedian often will talk to the audience and say, "So, where are you from?" And the per- you know the person will tell them where they come from, and then the comedian will make a few jokes and some conversation about it to warm up the audience. I've seen it before. Whenever there is a Romanian in the room. The, um, the comedian would always say, oh, where are you from, Transylvania? And you know, we've got a vampire in the room, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So it's the vampire myth, because yeah. vampires come from Transylvania, Dracula. Yeah, which is uh, English literature. Yeah. Uh, we should mention that Bram Stoker, um, you know, uh, a British uh, uh, writer of Irish descent, or Irish, well, he was Irish, basically, but um, active in... Um, yeah, Great Britain. Yeah, and um, and he he wrote this book Dracula in 1897. Uh, he was on uh, riding the wave of vampire fiction, which was already in place. He yes. didn't invent any vampire, uh-huh. but what he did, he linked uh, briefly in the book um, Dracula the Vampire with this Romanian um, warlord and uh, ruler in, in the 15th century, who was very bloody in his uh, own right. He was a real person? Absolutely. His yeah. name was Dracula? Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, that was sort of a nickname based on 
uh, on a sort of a distinction that he had from um, he was knighted and that that that's knighthood was had a dragon on the uh, you know on the coat of arms and so the sort of you know was linked in popular um, imagery yeah within Dracula the dragon or, or the devil kind of is sort of a mix I, up of the I two. see so when w- all right so he was knighted he became Count Dracula no no there no? was no count he was a ruler he was a uh, voyevod you know which is sort of like a prince of he was uh, ruling over this what is now the south of Romania was was a sort of small country in, in, independent more or less so, like then so hold on so the original Dracula was a real person who was a kind of uh, an aristocrat yeah. who, who ruled over an area of, of Romania yeah. in the 15th century yeah. and he was quite bl- bloody I mean he was, he, he was quite a, he had quite a violent yeah. uh, reign the impaling thing was, was true like he would like to take an, an enemy and just let him sink slowly on this uh, spike, spike uh, and die a slow death and it's, uh, reputedly he was also enjoying sort of a meal uh, on that field with spikes you know. right so you mean he, he would he would eat what, what yeah, would something. he think would we eat, don't know what eat <laughs> uh, obviously not I, uh, he, there wasn't any cannibalism uh, involved right. or confirmed but he was also he, that was true but he was also sort of the focus on uh, of uh, negative propaganda uh, by his opponents mostly uh, Mm, kind of a Transylvanian uh, noble nobleman, yeah. and um, and they you know printed materials uh, against him, propaganda, and popularized this this image, and uh, probably um, many images that we have of him come through this channel. I see, and the information that Stalker uh, probably had also was was um, coming from through these channels. So this ruler Dracula, fifteenth century, he was subjected to demonization he yeah. was demonized yeah. by his enemies yeah and they made him into a monster Absolutely, right yeah. and bram stoker was influenced by this this story of this this real person yeah yeah um, he, he, I, I guess was looking for some context uh, historical geographical context yes for for his uh, vampire because uh, he wanted to give more more background to the, yeah. to the guy but and it worked it worked you know, i mean famously because it became the most successful vampire yeah um in uh, in literature and movies and now in everything yes now we don't know uh, i mean it, there's no definite medium is he dracula is not contained to one medium it's not just he's everywhere he's not just movies or books he no, kind he's of me, even now with us he moves i feel it he moves everywhere in mysterious ways yeah as the song goes <laughs> uh, but um that was uh uh, and it's connected to to what we were discussing earlier because when Bram Stoker wrote it in mm. the late 19th century, it was echoing the fear uh, for this uh, immigration waves of people from from the east, from Eastern mm. Europe, coming mm. um, uh, coming over to uh, to Great Britain. Immigrants were everywhere. It was a, it was also a period where people moved a lot. So, so Bram Stoker exploited the fear that British people had of migrant workers coming from the east for example yeah. romania he exploited that sort of sense of fear of the east yeah i don't know if the focus was on uh, workers back then it was yeah. just people who would come with you know different manners different way of being kind of soiling the yeah the, the, the blood the blood actually the metaphor of the blood is the key to understanding all this and it was in you know more recent interpretations obviously linked to a sexual disease 
Yeah. Because the, the, the big scare then in the 19th century, late 19th, was syphilis. Right. And it's easy to read into, into the whole blood uh, yeah. problem that's at the center of Dracula, the scare of sexually transmitted disease yeah. uh, that Dracula would bring with him. Mm, mm. So that was definitely back then. Uh, it's, it's more diffuse right now because now we're talking about uh, work because that's what people are very concerned with right now, especially um, yeah. since 2008. With so, the financial crisis. Yeah, so we, we can, I don't know, we can maybe um, draw the conclusion that people would be more okay with VD than with no work right people are people are more okay with having a sexually transmitted disease than than they are with being unemployed so the big fear is unemployment and financial difficulty rather than sexually transmitted diseases i think uh, i think there's a good reason for that the reason being that if you do pick up a sexually transmitted disease you can get it fixed most of them today are yeah yeah you go to the doctor and they'll sort it out unless it's um unless it's aids of course but that you know that's not quite as serious as it was obviously well wait a minute wait a minute obviously AIDS is is a deeply serious um, uh, disease but um, it's more treatable than it than it you know now than it has been before but you know even that uh, the the movie Dracula made by Coppola in 92 was echoing that because everybody was by then aware of AIDS and uh, it was not treatable in almost no way yeah. than 92 and that was uh, very cleverly uh, you know put forth i mean he updated the idea of um uh, sexual sexually transmitted disease as being the metaphor in in dracula yes as you uh, open um uh, uh, in london with the van helsing the professor who then chases dracula mm. but as you uh, find him at the beginning of the, uh, the movie he's um teaching uh, delivering a course on vd VD, a venereal venereal disease. disease. So it's uh, it already puts the focus on that, mm, and uh, right. it, and that was uh, linked to AIDS because that was a big scare then. So he puts venereal disease, sexually yeah. transmitted disease, right at the front of the movie. This is the, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula as filmed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, uh, that's like the. So now I'm getting the idea that since originally Dracula was this the syphilis. Then it was updated. He became a sort of a romantic figure uh, with cinema, but obviously linked to such problems as mm. AIDS into the mm. 90s. Mm. So now, I guess if you would do a Dracula now, a yeah. really modern-day Dracula, yeah. he would have to be the sort of vampire who doesn't suck blood, but really uh, gets everybody else's work. He would <laughs> get all sorts of jobs. because He would have the possibility to move very fast. Well, I guess he would take away people's financial security, wouldn't he? Like... Um, uh, would would Dracula be a, a banker? Do you think? Would he be uh, a, a very charming banker who sells you uh, some real estate? Uh, I mean, we're back to the Wolf of Wall Street now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Wolf of Wall Street. It's interesting they called him the Wolf of Wall Street because the Wolf is another uh, character from yeah. horror. Yeah, the, the werewolf the and one Dracula can transform himself or itself into a, a wolf. At, that's at, that's at true. Points. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So maybe Dracula would be a banker um, and he would, instead of draining the blood out of someone's body, he'd drain all the finances out of yeah. the bank accounts. But uh, that's that's a more serious approach that you're taking. And I, right. I respect that. But I was, I, I'm thinking if you would do a comedy, 
Uh-huh. I think Dracula would be the guy who'd steal every job on the market. <laughs> he would just, uh, you know, wake up uh, and open the the newspaper and mm-hmm. apply for every job and get every job. But I, 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 f- I think that we would find it hard to be truly afraid of this guy because on one hand you think yes okay he's stealing people's jobs but on the other hand what he uh, you know at least someone is is uh, applying for work at least someone's willing to to prop up the economy you know like that's a double-edged sword the 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 image of dracula being a, a hard worker because right. we also love the hard worker don't we because it's very important that we have people who work hard and are willing to do jobs because that's so important for the economy well, it's a comedy we would sh- we would fear someone who does no work and yet reaps and all the benefits. those uh, Yeah, spots. takes all the goodness out and yet contributes nothing back. I think that's what we would be scared sure, of. Sure, sure. So I think w- the banker, I think the, the... I'm still sticking with the, the image okay. of the banker. Look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm willing to go with that. I reckon he's a, a hedge fund manager yeah, yeah. Not, not who, who is not domiciled in the UK, but who is reaping all the benefits of our tax uh, law. You know, yeah, I think that's probably it. But uh, I think it's uh, I'm getting political now, well, and, and and is Dracula Dracula is a political yeah, as we've, thing, uh, isn't it? As, we've as, talked, as uh, we've just said. Um, but um, he's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, really a, because you know the blood thing. It's uh, it's kind of uh, outdated. Well, but I think the blood thing has always been just um, uh, a metaphor hasn't it i mean it, it, it's a metaphor relating to disease venereal disease as you say uh there's also yeah the sexual aspect to it too but you know finance has always been linked to liquid metaphors it's f- yeah. the world of finance the language of finance is full of liquid metaphors cash flow liquidity yeah you know all this sort of stuff so i think it maybe it works but so uh, it would it would you'd be hard pressed to make a story about a, f- a, f- uh, a banker sexy and exciting, don't you think? I'm being a bit rude to bankers at this point, I realise yeah, yeah, that, yeah, well but, but you shouldn't blame me for that. If you're a banker and you're listening to this, or if you know a banker uh, and you're, who's you know, listening to this, then um, don't blame me for being rude about bankers. What you should, who you should blame is that minority, that small group of unethical bankers who ruined it for everyone, okay? Yeah, but there's still... They can, can be of interest. You pointed out The Wolf of Wall Street, and then there was famously uh, Wall Street, you know, the movie, the the hero Gordon Gecko, yeah. Michael Douglas. Greed uh, is good. Yeah, so they can still be appealing, and certainly that kind of guy is a sort of mm, uh, a Dracula type of guy. Yeah, Gordon Gecko as a Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was also the uh, the great film uh, called American Psycho. Sure. Which, is a, which was a good horror film about the um, sort of moral question and the moral. Hold on, sorry. Um, I just I just paused the podcast there for a second. We were in full swing, full flow, as it were, talking about vampires and bankers and everything, really. But uh, I've just realised what time it is, Cornelia. Yeah, and it's uh, late. It's, it's yeah, it's way way past uh, any decent hour hour uh i i've seven, got seven thirty in the afternoon so. uh, yeah it's seven thirty in the afternoon i've realized i've got an appointment at eight o'clock i absolutely must uh cut off the conversation now it's uh, a pity because we were in some very interesting territory there yeah now i'm very guilty because i made you know luke who is obviously an english uh, gentleman uh i uh, i'll 
just uh, make him be late uh, this uh, this uh, appointment so we, it's not yeah. it's not okay of me but you can blame it on me okay. you know people from the east <laughs> came and took my time <laughs> okay uh, and they've drained the afternoon of seconds minutes hours uh i think that's a perfect way to end uh cornelia yes um, i agree um but i really must go i must dash right away i've got to go so uh thanks very much for coming on the podcast thank you luke for having it's, me it's been very interesting It is. It has been for me, and if there's any echoes, I want to hear them. Good, bad, mediocre echoes yeah. to our conversation. Well, I would, I would invite listeners to l leave their comments on the web page as usual. Please do. Cornelia, in particular, is very interested to hear your feedback, to read it, uh, negative, positive, or any anywhere in between. Please do leave your thoughts and comments on teacherluke.co.uk. But for this episode, it's time to say goodbye. Yes. And so we're going to do that right now. Thanks again, Cornelia. It's been great to have you Thank here. You. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. 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 bye, bye, bye. bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.